welcome to tonight's Zoom meeting on tyranny, freedom, defense, and revolution. And we'll start tonight in Alma, chapter 59. Verse 3, and it came to pass that he immediately sent an epistle to Pehoran, desiring that he should cause men to be gathered together to strengthen Helaman, or the armies of Helaman, insomuch that he might with ease maintain part of the land, which he had been so miraculously prospered in regaining. And this is Moroni. And verse 5, and it came to pass that while Moroni was thus making preparations to go against the Lamanites to battle, Behold, the people of Nephi, who were gathered together from the city of Moroni and the city of Lehi and the city of Morianton, were attacked by the Lamanites. And verse 11. And now when Moroni saw that the city of Nephi was lost, and was ex- he was exceedingly sorrowful, and began to doubt because of the wickedness of the people, whether they should not fall into the hands of their brethren. Now this was the cause with all his chief captains. They doubted and marveled also because of the wickedness of the people, and this because of the success of the Lamanites over them. And it came to pass that Moroni was angry with the government because of their indifference concerning the freedom of their country. Amma chapter 60, verse 1. And it came to pass that he wrote again to the governor of the land, who was Pehoran, and these are the words which he wrote, saying, Behold, I direct mine epistle to Pehoran, in the city of Zarahemla, who is the chief judge and the governor over all the land, and also to all those who have been chosen by this people to govern and manage the affairs of this war. For behold, I have somewhat to say unto them by way of condemnation. For behold, ye yourselves know that ye have been appointed to gather together men and arm them with swords and with scimitars and all manner of weapons of war of every kind and send forth against the Lamanites in whatsoever parts they should come into our land. And now behold, I say unto you that myself and also my men and also Helaman and his men have suffered exceedingly great sufferings, yea, even hunger, thirst, and fatigue and all manner of afflictions of every kind. But behold, were this all, we had suffered, we would not murmur nor complain. But behold, great has been the slaughter among our people. Yea, thousands have fallen by the sword. While it might have otherwise been, if ye had rendered unto our army sufficient strength and succor for them, yea, great has been your neglect toward us. And now behold, we do desire to know the cause of this exceedingly great neglect. Yea, we desire to know the cause of your thoughtless state. Can you think to sit upon your thrones in a state of thoughtlessness and stupor while your enemies are spreading the work of death around you? Yea, while they are murdering thousands of your brethren. Yea, even they who have looked up to you for protection and have placed you in a situation that ye might have succored them. Yea, ye might have sent armies unto them to have strengthened them and have saved thousands of them from falling by the sword. But behold, this is not all. Ye have withheld your provisions from them, insomuch that many have fought and bled out their lives because of their great desires which they had for the welfare of this people. Yea, and this they have done when they were about to perish with hunger because of your exceeding neglect toward them. And now, my beloved brethren, for ye ought to be beloved, 
Yea, and ye ought to have stirred yourselves more diligently for the welfare and the freedom of this people. But behold, ye have neglected them, insomuch that the blood of thousands shall come upon your heads for vengeance. Yea, for known unto God were all their cries and all their sufferings. Behold, could ye suppose that ye could sit upon your thrones? And because of your exceeding goodness of God, and because of the exceeding goodness of God could do nothing, and he would deliver you? Behold, if ye have supposed this, ye have supposed in vain. And do ye suppose that because so many of your brethren have been killed, it is because of their wickedness? I say unto you, if ye have supposed this, ye have supposed in vain. For I say unto you, there are many who have fallen by the sword. And behold, it is to your condemnation. For the Lord suffereth the righteous to be slain, that his justice and judgment may come upon the wicked. Therefore ye need not suppose that the righteous are lost because they are slain. But behold, they do enter into the rest of the Lord their God. And now behold, I say unto you, I fear exceedingly, lest the judgments of God will come upon this people because of their exceeding slothfulness. Yea, even the slothfulness of our government and their exceedingly great neglect toward their brethren, yea, toward those who have been slain. For were it not the, for the wickedness which first commenced at our head, we could have withstood our enemies that they could have gained no power over us. Yea, had it not been for the war which broke out among ourselves, yea, were it not for these kingmen who caused so much bloodshed among ourselves, Yea, at the time we were contending among ourselves, if we had united our strength as we hitherto have done. Yea, had it not been for the desire of power and authority, which those kingmen had over us, had they been true to the cause of our freedom and united with us and gone forth against our enemies instead of taking up their swords against us, which was the cause of so much bloodshed among ourselves. Yea, if we had gone forth against them in the strength of the Lord, we should have dispersed our enemies, for it would have been done according to the fulfilling of his word. But behold, now the Lamanites are coming upon us, taking possession of our lands, and they are murdering our people with a sword, yea, our women and our children, and also carrying them away captive causing them that they should suffer all manner of afflictions. And this because of the great wickedness of those who are seeking for power and authority, yea, even those kingmen. But why should I say much concerning this matter? For we know not, but what ye yourselves are seeking for authority. We know not, but that ye are also traitors to your country. Or is it that ye have neglected us because ye are in the heart of our country? And ye are surrounded by security, that ye do not cause food to be sent unto us, and also men to strengthen our armies. Have ye forgotten the commandments of the Lord your God? Yea, have ye forgotten the captivity of our fathers? Have ye forgotten the many times we have been delivered out of the hands of our enemies? Or do ye suppose that the Lord will still deliver us while we sit upon our thrones, and do not make use of the means which the Lord has provided for us? Yea. Will ye sit in idleness while ye are surrounded with thousands of those, yea, and tens of thousands, who do also sit in idleness, while there are thousands round about in the borders of the land who are falling by the sword, yea, wounded and bleeding, 
Do ye suppose that God will look upon you as guiltless while you sit still and behold these things? Behold, I send to you nay. Now I would that ye should remember that God has said that the inward vessel shall be cleansed first, and then shall the outer vessel be cleansed also. And now except ye do repent of the thing which ye have done, and begin to be up and doing, and send forth food and men unto us, and also unto Helaman, that he may support those parts of our country which he has regained, and that we may also recover the remainder of our possessions in these parts. Behold, it will be expedient that we contend no more with the Lamanites until we have first cleansed our inward vessel. Yea, even the great head of our government, and except ye grant mine epistle, and come out and show unto me a true spirit of freedom, and strive to strengthen and fortify our armies, and grant unto them food for their support. Behold, I will leave a part of my freemen to maintain this part of our land, and I will leave the strength and the blessings of God upon them, that none other power can operate against them. And this because of their exceeding faith and their patience in their tribulations. And I will come unto you, and if there be any among you that have a desire for freedom, yea, if there be even a spark of freedom remaining, behold, I will stir up insurrections among you, even until those who have desires to usurp power and authority shall become extinct. And behold, I do not fear your power nor your authority, but it is my God whom I fear. And it is according to his commandments that I do take my sword to defend the cause of my country. And it is because of your iniquity that we have suffered so much loss. Behold, it is time. Yea, the time is now at hand that except ye do bestir yourselves in the defense of your country and your little ones, the sword of justice that thing doth hang over you. Yea, and it shall fall upon you and visit you even to your utter Behold, I wait for assistance from you, and except ye do administer unto our relief. Behold, I come unto you, even in the land of Zarahemla, and smite you with a sword, insomuch that ye can have no more power to impede the progress of this people in the cause of our freedom. For behold, the Lord will not suffer that ye shall live and wax strong in your iniquities to destroy his righteous people. Behold, can ye suppose that the Lord will spare you and come out in judgment against the Lamanites when it is the tradition of their fathers that has caused their hatred. Yea, it has been redoubled by those who have dissented from us while your iniquity is for the cause of your love of glory and the vain things of the world. And ye know that ye do transgress the laws of God and ye do know that ye do trample them under your feet. Behold, the Lord saith unto me, If those whom ye have appointed your governors do not repent of their sins and iniquities, ye shall go up to battle against them. And now behold, I, Moroni, am constrained according to the covenant which I have made to keep the commandments of my God. Therefore, I would that ye should adhere to the word of God and said speedily unto me of your provisions and of your men and also to Helaman. And behold, if ye will not do this... I come unto you speedily, for behold, God will not suffer that we should perish with hunger. Therefore, he will give unto us of your food, even if it must be by the sword. Now you see that ye fulfill the word of God. Behold, I am Moroni, your chief captain. 
I seek not for power, but to pull it down. I seek not for the honor of the world, but for the glory of my God and the freedom and welfare of my country. And thus I close mine epistle. And so we learn a few things from the words of Moroni. You know, one, there are things worth defending even unto bloodshed, including liberty and freedom. Number two, that, you know, we should stand up to corruptness where we find it. And certainly we have parallels with things that are happening today. Certainly there are parallels with the kingmen and those who today seek to overthrow our liberty, our freedom, our religion, our property, and our rights. And the Lord God expects us to do what is in our power to overthrow tyranny and the incursion upon our rights. Now, as we go into chapter 61, we will see the nobleness of Pehoram, to whom Moroni wrote this epistle. And even though he was very hard on Pehoran, not knowing if he had turned and joined the kingman or was sitting back in the in comfort and security, yet Pehoran did not take offense from Moroni's censure. Um, quite the opposite. Chapter 61, verse 1. Behold, now it came to pass that soon after Moroni had sent his epistles unto the chief governor, he received an epistle from Pehoran, the chief governor. And these are the words which he received. I, Pehoran, who am the chief governor of this land, do send these words unto Moroni, the chief captain over the army. Behold, I say unto you, Moroni, that I do not joy in your great afflictions. Yea, it grieves my soul. But behold, there are those who do joy in your afflictions, yea, insomuch that they have risen up in rebellion against me, and also those of my people who are freemen, yea, and those who have risen up are exceedingly numerous. And it is those who have sought to take away the judgment seat from me that have been the cause of this great iniquity, for they have used great flattery, and they have led away the hearts of many people which will be the cause of sore affliction among us. Yea, they have withheld their provisions, and they have daunted our freemen, and they have not come unto you. And behold, they have driven me out from before them, and I have fled to the land of Gideon with as many men as it were possible that I could get. And behold, I have sent proclamation throughout this part of the land, and behold, they are flocking to us daily, to their arms in the defense of their country and their freedom, and to avenge our wrongs. And they have come unto us insomuch that those who have risen up in rebellion against us are set at defiance. Yea, insomuch that they do fear us and durst not come out against us to battle. And they have got possession of the land of the city of Zarahemla. And they have appointed a king over them, 
And he hath written unto the king of the Lamanites, in the which he hath joined an alliance with them, with him. In which alliance he hath agreed to maintain the city of Zarahemla, which maintenance he supposeth will enable the Lamanites to conquer the remainder of the land. And he shall be placed king over this people when they shall be conquered under the Lamanites. And now in your epistle, you have censored me, but it mattereth not. I am not angry, but do rejoice in the greatness of your heart. I pay Horan, do not seek for power, save only to retain my judgment seat that I may preserve the rights and the liberty of my people. My soul stand the fast in the liberty in which God hath made us free. And now behold, we will resist the wickedness even unto bloodshed. We would not shed the blood of the Lamanites if they would stay in their own land. We would not shed the blood of our brethren if they would not rise up in rebellion and take the sword against us. We would subject ourselves to the yoke of bondage if it were requisite with the justice of God or if he should command us to do so. And may I submit that Pehoran is showing up that quality which is at the basis of the doctrine of Christ, which is a broken heart and contrite spirit. And even though his defense of freedom and liberty and his people burns bright within him, Yet, he submits his will to God's will. But behold, he doth not command us that we shall subject ourselves to our enemies. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, I hear from people that God would have us subject ourselves to our enemies um, rather than openly oppose them. Um, and if that is ever the commandment of God, so be it. But we should not assume that that is the default position that God would have us assume. The default position that we should assume is that we should defend our freedom, our liberty, our religion, and our rights. But behold, he doth not command us that we shall subject ourselves to our enemies, but that we should put our trust in him and he will deliver us. And, you know, I would cross-reference first Nephi chapter one. Verse 20. And when the Jews heard these things, the, the things which Lehi went forth among them prophesying and calling them to repentance. They were angry with him. Yea, even as with the prophets of old, whom they had cast out and stoned and slain. And they also sought his life, that they might take it away. But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith to make them mighty, even unto the power of deliverance. And verse 13 in Alma 61, again, 
but we should put our trust in God and he will deliver us. Therefore, my beloved brethren Moroni, let us resist evil and whatsoever evil we cannot resist with their words, yea, such as rebellions and dissensions, let us resist them with our swords that we may retain our freedom that we may rejoice in the great privilege of our church and in the cause of our Redeemer and our God. Therefore, come unto me speedily with a few of your men and leave the remainder in the charge of Lehi and Teancum and give unto them power to conduct the war in that part of the land according to the Spirit of God, which is also the Spirit of freedom which is in them. Behold, I have sent a few provisions unto them, that they may not perish until ye can come unto me. Gather together whatsoever force ye can upon your march hither, and we will go speedily against those dissenters in the strength of our God, according to the faith which is in us. And we will take possession of the city of Zarahemla, that we may obtain more food to send forth unto Lehi and Teancum. Yea, we will go forth against them in the strength of the Lord, and we will put an end to this great iniquity. And now, Moroni, I do joy in receiving your epistle, for I was somewhat worried concerning what we should do, whether it should be just in us to go against our brethren. And certainly, this is a question that we are going to have to face in our lifetime. Whether it should be just in us to go against our brethren. But ye have said that except they repent, the Lord hath commanded you that ye should go against them. See that ye strengthen Lehi and Teancum in the Lord. Tell them to fear not, for God will deliver them. Yea, and also all those who stand fast in that liberty wherewith God hath made them free. And now I close mine epistle to my beloved brother Moroni. Chapter 62. And now it came to pass that when Moroni had received this epistle, his heart did take courage, and he was filled with exceedingly great joy because of the faithfulness of Pehoran, that he was not also a traitor to the freedom and the cause of his country. But he did also mourn exceedingly because of the iniquity of those who had driven Pehoran from the judgment seat. Yea, and in fine, because of those who had rebelled against their country and also their God. And it came to pass that Moroni took a small number of men, according to the desire of Pehoran, and gave Lehi and Teancum command over the remainder of his army, and took his march toward the land of Gideon. And he did raise the standard of liberty in whatsoever place he did enter, and gained whatsoever force he could in all his march toward the land of Gideon. And it came to pass that thousands did flock unto his standard and did take up their swords in the defense of their freedom, that they might not come into bondage. And thus when Moroni had gathered together whatsoever men he could in all his march, he came to the land of Gideon and uniting his forces with those of Pehoran, they became exceedingly strong, even stronger than the men of Pecos, who was the king of those dissenters who had driven the freemen out of the land of Zarahemla and had taken possession of the land. And it came to pass that Moroni and Pehoran went down with their armies into the land of Zarahemla and went forth against the city 
and did meet the men of Pecos, insomuch that they did come to battle. And behold, Pecos was slain, and his men were taken prisoners. And Pehorin was restored to his judgment seat. And the men of Pecos received their trial, according to the law. And also those kingmen who had been taken and cast into prison, and they were executed, according to the law. And those men of Pecos and those kingmen, whosoever would not take up arms in the defense of their country, but would fight against it, were put to death. And thus it became expedient that this law should be strictly observed for the safety of their country. Yea, and whosoever was found denying their freedom was speedily executed according to the law. And thus ended the 30th year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, Moroni, and Pehoran, having restored peace to the land of Zarahemla among their own people, having inflicted death upon all those who were not true to the cause of freedom. And it came to pass that in the commencement of the 31st year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, Moroni immediately caused that provisions should be sent. And also an army of 6,000 men should be sent unto Helaman to assist him in preserving that part of the land. And he also caused that an army of 6,000 men with a sufficient quantity of food should be sent to the armies of Lehi and Teancum. And it came to pass that this was done to fortify the land against the Lamanites. And it came to pass that Moroni and Pehoran, leaving a large body of men in the land of Zarahemla, took their march with a large body of men toward the land of Nephiha, being determined to overthrow the Lamanites in that city. And it came to pass that as they were marching toward the land, they took a large body of men of the Lamanites and slew many of them and took their provisions and their weapons of war. And it came to pass that they had, that after they had taken them, they caused them to enter into a covenant that they would no more take up their weapons of war against the Nephites. And when they had entered into this covenant, they sent them to dwell with the people of Ammon. And they were in number about 4,000 who had not been slain. And, you know, this is one of the signs that is evident in men of faith and courage and strength. That in the defense of their freedom, of their God, of their religion, their families, that those who come against them as aggressors, uh, they do not thirst after their blood, but if they will lay down their weapons and depart in a covenant of peace, they are allowed to depart. But if they will not, the work of death has to be administered among them. Verse 17, and when they had entered into this covenant, they sent them to dwell with the people of Ammon, and they were a number about 4,000 who had not been slain. And it came to pass that when they had sent them away, they pursued their march toward the land of Nephiha. And it came to pass that when they had come to the city of Nephiha, they did pitch their tents in the plains of Nephiha, which is near the city of Nephiha. Now Moroni was desirous that the Lamanites should come out to battle against them and upon the plains. But the Lamanites, knowing of their exceedingly great courage and beholding the greatness 
of their numbers. Therefore, they durst not come out against them. Therefore, they did not come to battle in that day. And when the night came, Moroni went forth in the darkness of the night and came upon the top of the wall to spy out in what part of the city the Lamanites did camp with their army. And it came to pass that they were on the east by the entrance, and they were all asleep. And now Moroni turned to his army and caused that they should be prepared in haste, strong cords and ladders to be let down from the top of the wall into the inner part of the wall. And it came to pass that Moroni caused that his men should march forth and come upon the top of the wall and let themselves down into that part of the city, yea, even on the west where the Lamanites did not camp with their armies. And it came to pass that when they were all let down into the city by night, by the means of their strong cords and ladders. Thus, when the morning came, they were all within the walls of the city. And now when the Lamanites awoke and saw the armies of Moroni were within the walls, they were frightened exceedingly, insomuch that they did flee out by the pass. And now when Moroni saw that they were fleeing before him, he did cause that his men should march forth against them and slew many and surrounded many others and took them prisoners. And the remainder of them fled into the land of Moroni, which was in the borders by the seashore. Thus had Moroni and Pehorn obtained the possession of the city of nephi without the loss of one soul. And there were many of the Lamanites who were slain. And it came to pass that many of the Lamanites that were prisoners were desirous to join the people of Ammon and become a free people. And it came to pass that as many as were desirous unto them, it was granted according to their desires. Therefore, all the prisoners of the Lamanites did join the people of Ammon and did begin to labor exceedingly, tilling the ground, raising all manner of grain and flocks and herds of every kind. And thus were the Nephites relieved from a great burden, yet insomuch that they were relieved from all the prisoners of the Lamanites. And it came to pass that Moroni, after he had obtained possession of the city of nephi having taken many prisoners, which did reduce the armies of the Lamanites exceedingly, and having regained many of the Nephites who had been taken prisoner, which did strengthen the army of Moroni exceedingly. Therefore Moroni went forth from the land of nephi to the land of Lehi. And it came to pass that when the Lamanites saw that Moroni was coming against them, they were again frightened and fled before the army of Moroni. And it came to pass that Moroni and his army did pursue them from city to city until they were met by Lehi and Teancum. And the Lamanites fled from Lehi and Teancum, even down upon the borders by the seashore, until they came to the land of Moroni. And the armies of the Lamanites were all gathered together, insomuch that they were all in one body in the land of Moroni. Now Amoron, the king of the Lamanites, was also with them. And it came to pass that Moroni and Lehi and Teancum did encamp with their armies round about in the borders of the land of Moroni, insomuch that the Lamanites were encircled about in the borders by the wilderness, on the south and in the borders by the wilderness on the east. And thus they did encamp for the night. For behold, the Nephites and the Lamanites also were weary because of the greatness of the march. Therefore, they did not resolve upon any stratagem in the nighttime, save it were Teancum, for he was exceedingly angry with Amaron, insomuch that he considered that Amaron and Amalekai, his brother, 
had been the cause of this great and lasting war between them and the Lamanites, which had been the cause of so much war and bloodshed, yea, and so much famine. And it came to pass that Teancum, in his anger, did go forth into the camp of the Lamanites and did let himself down over the walls of the city. And he went over with a cord from place to place insomuch that he did find the king. And he did cast a javelin at him, which did pierce him near the heart. But behold, the king did awaken his servants before he died, insomuch that they did pursue Teancum and slew him. Now it came to pass that when Lehi and Moroni knew that Teancum was dead, they were exceedingly sorrowful. For behold, he had been a man who had fought valiantly for his country, yea, a true friend to liberty, and he had suffered very many exceedingly sore afflictions. But behold, he was dead, and he had gone the way of all the earth. And now it came to pass that Moroni marched forth on the morrow, and came upon the Lamanites insomuch that they did slay them with a great slaughter, and they did drive them out of the land, and they did flee even that they did not return at that time against the Nephites. And thus ended the 30 and first year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. And thus they had wars and bloodsheds and famine and affliction for the space of many years. And there had been many murders and contentions and dissensions and all manner of iniquity among the people of Nephi. Nevertheless, for the righteous sake, yea, because of the prayers of the righteous, they were spared. And I would seek to draw our minds forward to that which is prophesied to happen among this people, that the cleansing would begin among or in the Lord's own house. And oftentimes we jump to the conclusion that means something is going to you know, happen in a temple. But DNC 101 in the parallel redemption of Zion, the Lord's house is defined as uh, the members of the restoration movements. Um, and the reason that the cleansing begins in the Lord's own house is that, you know, because of Joseph Smith and the restoration We have greater access to truth than any people upon the face of the earth. In fact, we have access to the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ contained in the pages of the Book of Mormon. Um, The question is, what is the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And how is it different from every other religious organization on earth. And the way that it is different is following. Um, The doctrine of Christ is the path of ascension. And it can only be accomplished when the heavens are opened during an active dispensation. And what does it mean that the heavens are open during an active dispensation? Let's turn to DNC 84. DNC 84, verse 19. And this greater priesthood, being distinguished from the lower or Aaronic and Levitical priesthoods, 
administereth the gospel and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Well, how does this first order of Melchizedek priesthood hold the key to the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God? Three ways. First, this first order of Melchizedek priesthood, the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, is the power and authority to administer in the affairs of the terrestrial order of the gospel or the church of Christ. Number two, it has the authority to perform the baptism of water into the terrestrial order of the gospel or the church of Christ. The Aaronic priesthood only has the authority to perform the baptism by water into the preparatory gospel. Um, Described a few verses later in verses 25 and 26, that after the house of Israel rejected the fullness of the gospel, the Lord took Moses out of their midst and the holy priesthood also. Now, this holy priesthood that is being withdrawn from the children of Israel is the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, the apostolic order. That same order that we are reading about in verse 19, which has the power and authority to officiate in the terrestrial order of the gospel, the church of Christ. And the lesser priesthood continued which priesthood holdeth the key of the ministering of angels and the preparatory gospel. The preparatory gospel does not operate under the authority of the apostolic order of priesthood, but the Aaronic and Levitical orders. It does not have the power and authority to perform the ordinance of baptism of water into the terrestrial order of the gospel, which is the saving ordinance of baptism by water the ordinance of baptism of water that Jesus Christ himself received. Um, The Aaronic priesthood, on the other hand, performs the ordinance of baptism of water to prepare for that greater baptism of water into the terrestrial order of the gospel. And I would cross-reference 3 Nephi chapter 7. Now, this is several years before Christ comes. And several years before Christ comes, Nephi is actively preaching the gospel, crying repentance, and also baptizing with water and giving that authority to baptize with water to others and to cry repentance. Verse 23, thus passed away the 30 and second year also, and Nephi did cry unto the people in the commencement of the 30 and third year, and did preach unto them repentance and remission of sins. And now I would have you to remember also that there were none who were brought unto repentance who were not baptized with water. Now, it's important to note that Nephi is being careful to call it the baptism of water. Joseph Smith said, a full baptism is comprised of three parts, water, fire, and Holy Ghost. And that a baptism of water is but half a baptism and will save no one. But 
you know, he's talking about the baptism of water into the terrestrial order of the gospel, which must be accompanied by the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that is the saving ordinance of baptism, which Jesus Christ received. As a cross-reference, if we go to 2 Nephi 31. Verse 2, wherefore the things which I have written sufficeth me, save it be a few words which I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. Wherefore I shall speak unto you plainly according to the plainness of my prophesying. For my soul delighteth in plainness. For after this manner doth the Lord work among the children of men. For the Lord God giveth light unto the understanding, for he speaketh unto men according to the language unto their understanding. Wherefore, I would have ye understand that you should remember that I have spoken unto you concerning that prophet, which the Lord showed unto me, that should baptize the Lamb of God, which should take away the sins of the world. And now if the Lamb of God, he being holy, should have need to be baptized by water to fulfill all righteousness, oh, then how much more need have we, being unholy, to be baptized, yea, even by water? And now I would ask of you, my beloved brother, wherein the Lamb of God did fulfill all righteousness in being baptized by water? Know ye not that he was holy? But notwithstanding he being holy, he showeth unto the children of men that according to the flesh he humbleth himself before the Father and witnesseth unto the Father that he would be obedient unto him in keeping the commandments. Now, it's important to note that even though John the Baptist appeared to Joseph Smith, and restored the first two orders of Aaronic priesthood, namely the first order being Levitical, which does not have the power to bless, but only to bind heavy burdens. And the second order being Aaronic, which holds the key to the ministering of angels. This is not all the priesthood that he held. He also held the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. And that it was by that order of the priesthood that he baptized Jesus Christ. And this is the order of the gospel, the terrestrial order of the gospel that was on the earth um, among the Nephites when Nephi uh, was alive. And so the baptism by water that he performed was by the power of the Melchizedek priesthood. Verse 8, wherefore, after he was baptized with water, the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of a dove. And there is a great mystery contained herein in these metaphors. For the man who officiated in the office of Holy Ghost came down from the heavens, and he performed the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost for Christ, just as John the Baptist performed the ordinance of baptism by water for Christ. Now, the requirement to be able to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is given in DNC 76. And in DNC 76.52, it says that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed and cleansed and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. So, 
to be able to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, one must be ordained and sealed unto the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. And if one is only in possession of the Aaronic priesthood, one can only perform baptism by water into the preparatory gospel. Now, verse 51 in DNC 76 is about the baptism of water by the higher Melchizedek priesthood. And they are they who received the testimony of Jesus and believed on his name and were baptized after the manner of his burial, being buried in the water in his name, and this according to the commandment which has been given. And after the baptism by water, by the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood and terrestrial church of Christ, and after the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost discussed in verse 52, then one is entitled to receive that instruction by the Spirit about how to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in his glory. Now, this is more than just to see Christ in vision. And this is more even than to have Christ come down here and appear unto us. This is to have an ascension experience like Moses had when he went to the high mountain, which was not an earthly mountain, but the heavenly mountain, which Isaiah and Enoch call the seventh heaven. And he came into Christ's presence in his glory. And this is the location where Christ will seal upon us our calling and election and make it sure. Verse 53, and who overcome by faith, which also means, as Nephi refers to in 2 Nephi 32, that after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that we should feast upon the words of Christ, which means not only to ask and to knock and receive, but also to do. And that is what faith is, to seek after, receive, and act on revelation. So once we've received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, we then have access to that level of revelation in the heavens whereby if we exercise faith, seeking after receiving and acting on that revelation, we'll be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in his glory in this life. And that is what it means to overcome by faith after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, who is the Holy Spirit of promise? Nobody more or less than Jesus Christ himself. And this sealing by the Holy Spirit of promise is to have one's calling and election made sure, which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true. And the ascension level of just and true is to have your calling and election made sure. And now, as you read throughout the Book of Mormon, watch out for uh, the use of these terms, just and true. For King Benjamin uses it more than once in his address. Alma also uses it to refer to those who have come into Christ's presence in his glory. Verse 54. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. And that is when we become members of the celestial order of the gospel or church of the firstborn. When we come into Christ's presence in his glory. And he seals upon us our calling and our election. So, back to 
3 Nephi chapter 11. In verse 18. And it came to pass that he spake unto Nephi, for Nephi was among the multitude, and he commanded him that he should come forth. And Nephi arose and went forth and bowed himself before the Lord and did kiss his feet. And the Lord commanded him that he should arise. And he arose and stood before him. And the Lord said unto him, I give unto you power that ye shall baptize this people when I am again ascended into heaven. Now, what is going on here? Why would Jesus Christ be giving Nephi the power and authority to baptize the people when he's again ascended to heaven, when clearly he already has it? As demonstrated in what we just read in 3 Nephi 7, he's been doing it for years. And not only does he have that power, but he has the power to give it to others. Well, the people who survived the destructions preceding um, Christ visiting the Nephites here in 3 Nephi 11 and after his crucifixion were primarily those who had been baptized by water by Nephi and those who Nephi ordained. And so why would they need to be baptized again? Well, You know, the answer is because Christ is restoring a higher order of the gospel. He's restoring the terrestrial order of the gospel or the church of Christ. The same order of the gospel that was originally restored by Joseph Smith in 1829. And that we had from 1829 to mid-1834. And so now... Nephi was to go forth and to baptize people not into the preparatory gospel as he had done before, but now he was to baptize them with water into the terrestrial church of Christ. But what about the other two baptisms that accompany the baptism of water into the terrestrial or the gospel, the church of Christ? For Joseph Smith said, it is but half a baptism to baptize with water only if not done with also the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, remember, as we read in DNC 76, to be able to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, a man must be ordained and sealed to this power, which Christ has just restored in 3 Nephi 11. So with the uh, restoration of this order of the priesthood, Nephi and the 12 have now been ordained, but they haven't yet had it sealed upon them. So they can't yet perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. That sealing doesn't take place until 3 Nephi chapter 18. And in 3 Nephi chapter 18, we read in verse 36. And it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of these sayings, he touched with his hand the disciples, whom he had chosen one by one, even until he had touched them all. And he spake unto them as he touched them. And the multitude heard not the words which he spake. Therefore, they did not bear record. But what Christ was doing as he was touching the 12 disciples was that he was sealing this power upon them, or he was sealing the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, the order of the priesthood that we're reading about in DNC 84, verse 19. And therefore, they will now have power to perform that ordinance of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. Continuing in verse 36, he touched with his hand the disciples whom he had chosen, 
one by one, even until he had touched them all. And he spake unto them as he touched them. And the multitude heard not the words which he spake. Therefore, he did not bear record, or they did not bear record. But the disciples bear record that he gave them power to give the Holy Ghost. And I will show unto you hereafter that this record is true. And it came to pass that when Jesus had touched them all, there came a cloud and overshadowed the multitude, and they could not see Jesus. And while they were overshadowed, he departed from them, and he ascended into heaven. And the disciples saw and bear record that he ascended again into heaven. Well, the question is, what did Christ say to his 12 disciples as he spoke unto them as he was sealing the apostolic order because it priesthood upon them? And giving them the commandment to go forth and to now not only baptize with water, but also with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Well, Moroni records the words that Christ spoke to the 12 disciples at the time that he sealed the apostolic order because he priesthood upon them and gave them the instruction to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it's found in Moroni chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The words of Christ, which he spake unto his disciples, the twelve whom he had chosen, as he laid his hands upon them. And he called them by name, saying, Ye shall call on the Father in my name, in mighty prayer. And after ye have done this, that ye shall have power that to him upon whom ye shall lay your hands, ye shall give the Holy Ghost. And in my name shall ye give it, for thus do mine apostles. Now, it should be noted that The reason that they had need to first call upon God in mighty prayer, even though they'd already had the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon them, was they had to receive specific instruction by the Holy Ghost to be able to perform this ordinance. Because before this ordinance can be performed, Christ must plead our case before Father. And only after he pleads our case before father and receives permission from father to adopt us as his sons and his daughters, can the ordinance of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost be performed. And if this does not happen, if the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost were to be performed without that, nothing would happen. And so those who are performing this ordinance who have been ordained and sealed unto this power must first receive permission from heaven and they must be able to commune commune with the spirit sufficiently that they are able to receive that instruction or not and that is why they must first call upon the father in mighty prayer and verse three now christ spake these words unto them at the time of his first appearing And the multitude heard it not, but the disciples heard it. And on as many as they laid their hands fell the Holy Ghost. And that is because they didn't lay their hands upon any um, for whom they had not previously called out in mighty prayer and received permission from Father via the Holy Ghost that they should perform this ordinance. (laughs) Now, an example of this pleading our case before Father. Um, before receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is actually given in 3 Nephi chapter 19. And after Christ's 12 disciples are baptized again, 
themselves into the terrestrial order of the gospel. They then receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and Christ has already pled their case before Father. So Christ then separates himself from them, and he gives thanks to the Father for uh, his 12 disciples receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then he pleads for the rest of the Nephites who will believe in him because of their words. Now, this believing in him, um, this is at a new level. They weren't going from unbelievers to believers because they had already received the preparatory gospel. But it was time for them <coughs> to now also receive the fullness of the doctrine of Christ, which includes offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit, which is the requirement to be willing to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit and actually entering into that covenant to receive the baptism of water by the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood into the terrestrial order of the gospel. And then to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, one must fully demonstrate to God that they offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit. For Christ says in 3 Nephi chapter 9, verse 20, And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit, and whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And as is outlined in verse 17, that is how we are to receive Jesus Christ. Verse 17, and as many as have received me through the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, to them have I been given to become the sons of God. When we receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, Christ adopts us as his sons or his daughters. So going back to 3 Nephi 19. So, verse 13, and it came to pass that when they were all baptized, the 12 disciples, including Nephi, and had come up out of the water, the Holy Ghost had fallen upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, this is a highly truncated uh, abbreviation of what happened, for after they were baptized with water by Nephi, then for them, the ordinance of baptism of fire baptism of the Holy Ghost was performed and then the Holy Ghost fell upon them with fire and behold they were encircled about as if it were by fire and at every single baptism of fire baptism of the Holy Ghost there is spiritual fire that comes down from heaven and encircles the individual who is receiving the ordinance and not only encircles them but goes into every part of their body and it came down from heaven, and the multitude did witness it, and did bear record, and angels did come down out of heaven and administer unto them. That is also something that always happens at the time of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Angels always come down from heaven and administer to those receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and often to others who are also present. And it came to pass that while the angels were ministering unto the disciples, behold, Jesus came and stood in the midst and ministered unto them. So significant an experience was the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost of the 12 disciples that Christ himself came and ministered unto them.
and verse 19. And it came to pass that Jesus departed out of the midst of them and went a little way off from them and bowed himself to the earth and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast given the Holy Ghost unto these whom I have chosen. And it is because of their faith in me that I have chosen them out of the world. Father, I pray thee that thou wilt give the Holy Ghost unto all them that shall believe in their words. This is a foreshadowing of the pleading that Christ must do to Father for those individuals who have and will enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit that they also might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Verse 22, Father, thou hast given them the Holy Ghost because they believe in me. And thou seest that they believe in me because thou hearest them. And they pray unto me and they pray unto me because I am with them. And now, Father, I pray unto thee again for them and also for all those who shall believe on their words, that they may believe in me, that I may be in them as thou, Father, art in me, that we may be one. Well, the beginning of this at one month with Jesus Christ and the Father really begins with the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, where we become Christ's sons and his daughters. But although it begins at the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, the next level is also alluded to by Christ in these verses. Verse 27. And he turned from them again, and he went a little way off, and he bowed himself to the earth, and he prayed again unto Father, saying, Father, I thank thee that thou hast purified those whom I have chosen because of their faith. And I pray for them also, for them who shall believe on their words, that they may be purified in me through faith on their words, even as they are purified in me. Father, I pray not for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me out of the world. Now, these are words that Christ said in Gethsemane, but what what do they mean? Who is it that Father has given Christ out of the world? Well, it's those who receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and thus become his seed, or his sons and his daughters, or in scriptural allegory and metaphor, they become fruit that he is able to lay up unto himself for the season against the season thereof. Now Christ makes reference to the next level of ascension and the next level of atonement with him and one with father that we read about in DNC 76 53. So talking about those whom the father would give him out of the world or those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and thus become his sons and daughters, that they may be purified in me, that I may be in them as thou father art in me, that we may be one, that I may be glorified in them. This has direct reference to the ascension experience that one receives after being instructed by the power of the Spirit, after the baptism of the Holy Fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, to enter into Christ's presence in his glory and receive their calling and election made sure. 
That is the next level of being purified in Christ. That he might be in us and also the Father. Now, going back to DNC 84, now that we now have context to understand verse 19, and that there are two different orders of baptism. The first is by the Aaronic priesthood into the preparatory gospel. The second is by the Melchizedek priesthood into the terrestrial order of the gospel. So this greater priesthood administereth the gospel. Remember, that's three ways. Baptism by water, baptism by fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. What is the key to the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key to the knowledge of God? Well, this key to the knowledge of God is the key or the right to be able to access that level of revelation in the heavens and receive instruction from the Lord about how to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in his glory. That is the key to the knowledge of God because that's how we come into his presence. That's how we meet him face to face and receive our calling election being made sure. And that is the key to the mysteries of the kingdom. Well, the key to the mysteries of the kingdom is how we part the veil and have that ascension experience. Verse 20. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. Well, what is this power of godliness being manifest? The power of godliness being manifest is the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And regarding that, uh, a few weeks ago, I was reading uh, in the Millennial Star. And... It was a reprint from Times and Seasons uh, about this very topic. And this is Millennial Star, number four, August 1843, volume three uh, through four, page 60. Under the title, The Holy Ghost, The Gift of the Holy Ghost. In the renewal of the covenant with the children of men, there are many subjects of great interest to the saints and of unspeakable value. But the gift of the Holy Ghost stands preeminently distinguished as the greatest gift that man could receive or deity bestow. The possession of this gift, which is the power of godliness, is what constitutes the special difference between the church of the living God and the multitude of systems that have originated through the will of man. Well, a natural question would be, well, why don't we hear more about the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost? Why don't we ever hear church leaders talking about how they received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, or admonishing us to receive it? And that is because in 1834, after we had come under condemnation in 1832, as recorded in DNC 84, uh, starting in verse 54 and going through verse 59 for rejecting the new covenant in the book of Mormon, even that of a broken heart and contrite spirit, so that we would not do what was required to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Um, condemnation in 1832, and the Lord promises us, if we do not repent and return from this condemnation, 
and enter into the covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit so that we may receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that there would be a scourge and judgment poured out upon us in verse 58. Well, did we repent and return or did we require that the Lord honor his promise that if we did not, he would pour out a scourge and a judgment upon us? We did not repent. And so in mid-1834, Christ takes his name out of the church. And the official name of the church is renamed from the Church of Christ, the terrestrial order of the gospel, to the Church of the Latter-day Saints, the telestial order of the gospel. Now, this removal of the name of Jesus Christ from the church was supposed to stand as a shot across the bow to the Latter-day Saints to let them know that they had progressed from condemnation to covenant curse. Now, in and the reason being, in Third Nephi chapter twenty-seven, verse seven, therefore whatsoever ye shall do, ye shall do it in my name. Therefore ye shall call the church in my name, and ye shall call upon the Father in my name, that He will bless the church for my sake. And how be it my church, save it shall be called in my name. For if a church be called in Moses' name, then it be Moses' church. Or if it be called in the name of a man, then it be the church of a man. But if it be called in my name, then it is my church, if it so be that they are built upon my gospel. And what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, as we read in DNC 84, this greater priesthood is the power to officiate in his gospel. And without this order of the priesthood, there is no power to officiate in the terrestrial order of the gospel of the church of Christ. Second, it must be built upon his gospel, which is the doctrine of Christ, or that through the, the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in his glory. Uh, that is his gospel. And so when we were demoted from the terrestrial order to the preparatory gospel, just like the children of Israel under Moses, when they were demoted from the terrestrial order uh, to the preparatory gospel for the exact same reason, um, as is recorded in verse 23 of DNC 84. Now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. Well, how did Moses seek to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God? Well, through the exact same way Joseph Smith did and through the exact same way that Christ declares in 3 Nephi 27, if it so be that they are built upon my gospel, for Christ's gospel is designed to bring his people into the covenant relationship with him as his sons and his daughters, and then into his presence in his glory during their mort mortal life. That's what the children of Israel rejected, and that's what the Latter-day Saints rejected. And so the same thing happened to both the Latter-day Saints and the children of Israel. Verse 25, therefore he took Moses out of their midst. Now, did he take Moses out of their midst immediately or eventually after they um, 
past all of the opportunities to repent and return. Same with Joseph Smith. Uh, the Lord didn't take Joseph Smith immediately out of the midst of the saints, but after they had exhausted all of their opportunities to repent and return, but would not. Verse 26. And the lesser priesthood continued, which priesthood holdeth the key of the ministering of angels and the preparatory gospel. Which gospel is the gospel of repentance and baptism and the remission of sins? Well, um, when we had the terrestrial or the gospel, the church of Christ, um, the baptismal prayer in the book of commandments was actually exactly as it appears in third Nephi chapter 11, verse 25. Now, the baptismal prayer into the terrestrial or the gospel, it never changes. And even a subtle change um, changes it from the baptismal prayer into the terrestrial or the gospel to the baptismal prayer into the preparatory gospel um, of water only. And after we were demoted in mid-1834, when the 1835 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants came out, the baptismal prayer was changed from the terrestrial order baptismal prayer to the to a baptismal prayer um, acceptable for baptism into the preparatory gospel. So going back to DNC 84, verse 21. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, talking about this first order of Melchizedek or the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh, or the, it is impossible to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, if there is not a man on the earth who has been ordained and sealed to this power, to this order of the priesthood. And that is also, what opens and closes a new dispensation. When this power has been restored and sealed upon a man, that opens a new dispensation. And that is exactly how Joseph Smith opened the dispensation uh, during his first ministry. And when there was no longer a man found upon the earth with this power and authority, that dispensation closed. And thus, the ability to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And if one cannot receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, one cannot receive the second comforter. And all of this was prophesied in the parable of redemption of Zion in DNC 101. That Joseph Smith would return in a first ministry to lay the foundation of the restoration. But because we would harden our hearts against the fullness, just like the children of Israel, the fullness would be taken from us. We'd be left with the preparatory gospel until before the second coming of Jesus Christ, Joseph Smith would return as the Lord's end time servant. And as Isaiah defines him as the end time Davidic servant and that the end time Davidic servant, Joseph Smith will have uh, two major responsibilities um, when he returns. The first is to gather out the strength of the Lord's house or those within the restoration movements who are willing to receive the doctrine of Christ with gladness and enter into that covenant to seek after and do whatever is required to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
that they would be led out on an end time exodus that would rival Moses's leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, and that this end time exodus would culminate with meeting up with Enoch, as is detailed in JST Genesis 9, starting in verse 21. Um, the return of his city and establishing New Jerusalem. And so, you know, right now we're in the calm, which is getting more and more turbulent before the storm that will bring the whole world into bondage. And after that happens and the work of the destruction of the king of Babylon, king of Assyria, as Isaiah terms it, begins, then Will Joseph come on the scene, gather out the strength of the Lord's house, and lead them on the end time exodus detailed in DNC 103? And so, from the time of the closing of that dispensation, when um, all of our chances were exhausted to repent and return, it's talked about in DNC 124, when the saints are in Nauvoo. Um, until Joseph Smith's return and the restoration um, to him again of the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, that is the event that opens again the heavens and makes it again possible by entering into the new covenant of a broken heart, contrite spirit to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then to be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in his glory. So I made reference to DNC 124, that in DNC 124, the saints are in Nauvoo, and the Lord gives the very last chance for the saints to repent and return and receive the terrestrial order of the gospel back, which includes the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, which we've just been reading about in DNC 84, so that we could go back from the preparatory gospel to the fullness of the gospel, which contains the fullness of the priesthood, or the fullness of Christ's priesthood, the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. In DNC 124, verse 28, For there is not a place found on earth that he may come to and restore again that which was lost unto you, or which he hath taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. You know, when was the last time in priesthood meeting, or early society, or Sunday school, or in bishopric meeting, or in stake presidency meeting, you read DNC 124, verse 28, and discovered that the Melchizedek priesthood had been taken from the saints under Joseph Smith. Verse 31, but I command you all my saints to build a house unto me, the Nauvoo temple. And I grant unto you a sufficient time to build a house unto me. And during this time, your baptism shall be acceptable unto me. But behold, at the end of this appointment, your baptisms for your dead shall not be acceptable unto me. And if you do not these things at the end of the appointment, ye shall be rejected as a church with your dead. Thus saith the Lord your God. So the question is, did we repent and return and have the fullness restored back to us, including the Melchizedek priesthood, or did we continue to harden our hearts? Well, one of the covenant blessings, if we did repent and return, outlined in DNC 124, is that the Lord would fight our battles and we would not be driven out of Nauvoo. 
verse 45 in DNC 124. And if my people will hearken unto my voice and at the voice of my servants whom I have appointed to lead my people, behold, verily I say unto you, they shall not be moved out of their place. Well, I ask you, did the Lord fight our battles in Nauvoo or were we smitten and driven? Now, according to Lyman White, He said the following about this injunction of the Lord to repent and return or to be rejected as a church with your dead. He said, we were to have a sufficient time to build that house during which time our baptisms for our dead should be acceptable in the river. If we did not build within this time, we were to be rejected as a church, we and our dead together. Both the temple and baptizing went very leisurely till the temple was somewhere in building the second story. When brother Joseph from the stand announced the alarming declaration that the baptism for our dead was no longer acceptable in the river. As much to say the time for building the temple had passed by and both we and our dead were rejected together. The church now stands rejected together with their dead. The church being rejected now stands alienated from her God in every sense of the word. But even in this rejected condition, the Lord still called the LDS church my house and continued to gather his people into it so that they would have access to the Aaronic priesthood and thereby be able to take a valid sacrament and receive a valid baptism by water into the preparatory gospel and have access to the scriptures of the restoration, which the Lord uh, used the LDS church in publishing and disseminating to the far reaches of the earth in preparation for the return of his end time servant, Joseph Smith Jr. And the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the earth shortly before his second coming, where the Lord says, Joseph Smith's second coming is unto the convincing of the people of the words which shall have already gone forth among them. If we go to JST Genesis 50, verse 30. And again, a seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins. Uh, the Lord is talking to Joseph in Egypt. And unto him will I give power to bring forth my word unto the seed of thy loins. Okay, so he's bringing forth um, the Book of Mormon, you know, and also Doctrine and Covenants. Um, you know, and Book of Moses and the other revisions that he did to his partial uh, retranslation of the Bible, which he has yet to finish. And not to bring forth my word only, saith the Lord, but to the convincing them of my word, the convincing them of of my word is what is talked about by Nephi in first Nephi chapter 13 about Joseph Smith's return, which shall have already gone forth among them in the last days. And it's already gone forth among them because that was part of Joseph Smith's first ministry. But his second is the convincing them of that word, which shall have already gone forth. And the convincing needs to be done first among the Lord's house because we don't even realize that we had the fullness taken from us and that we've been operating under the preparatory gospel since the days of Joseph Smith until now. 
Verse 31, wherefore the fruit of thy loins shall write and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write and that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins and also that which shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah shall grow together unto the confounding of false doctrines and the laying down of contentions and establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins and bringing them to a knowledge of their fathers in the latter days and also to a knowledge of my covenant, saith the Lord. And out of weakness shall he, Joseph Smith, be made strong. In that day when my work shall go forth among all my people. Well, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ did not go forth among all of God's people during Joseph Smith's first ministry, but it does during his second. Which shall restore them who are of the house of Israel in the last days. Well, as we learn in the parable of redemption of Zion and DNC 101, the gathering of Israel started during Joseph Smith's first ministry. But that marvelous work and a wonder that does the final gathering in preparation for Christ coming in his glory doesn't happen until Joseph's second ministry. So, if, if we go back now to Alma chapter 62. Verse 41. Let's, Let's read again verse 40. And there had been murders and contentions and dissensions and all manner of iniquity among the people of Nephi. Nevertheless, for the righteous sake, yea, because of the prayers of the righteous, they were spared. And, you know, so will it be the strength of the Lord's house or those who receive the doctrine of Christ with gladness and joy and enter into the new covenant will also be spared because of their prayers in the days that are quickly coming upon us. Verse 41, but behold, because of the exceeding great length of the war between the Nephites and the Lamanites, many had become hardened because of the exceeding great length of the war. And many were softened because of their afflictions, insomuch that they did humble themselves before God, even in the depth of humility. And so will it be in our generation. And the hardships which are quickly coming upon us. And among the Latter-day Saints, these hardships will harden many. And they will go down to destruction and this is talked about in DNC 101. For after Joseph returns to finish the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house, and the separation is accomplished among the wheat and tares among the Latter day Saints, verse 65. Therefore, I must gather together my people according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the wheat may be secured in the garners to possess eternal life and crowned with celestial glory. When I shall come in the kingdom of my father to reward every man, according as his work shall be while the tares shall be bound in bundles and their bands made strong that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. Um, This is what happens among the Latter-day Saints and among all the restoration branches. 
who do not receive the fullness of the gospel with gladness, the covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then go on from there to enter into Christ's presence in his glory, and thus become members of the church of the firstborn, which is the spiritual level of ascension required to enter into New Jerusalem. So, because of what we are about to suffer, many will be hardened and will be classified among the tares who will be destroyed. And some will have their hearts softened and will be counted among the strength of the Lord's house, who will be preserved from the destructions and gathered out to go on this end-time exodus. And this end-time exodus is referred to in DNC 103. DNC 103, verse 15. Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them, like as Moses led the children of Israel. For ye are the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham, and ye must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. And naming this man and the servant who returns in DNC 101, Verily, verily, verse 21, I say unto you that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. is the man to whom I liken the servant to whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I have given unto you. And so we must receive the fullness of the doctrine of Christ. We must enter into the new and everlasting covenant, uh, that of a sacrifice of broken heart and contrite spirit, that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. We must receive the terms of the sacrifice by revelation. But at a bare minimum, it means placing everything upon the altar and then receiving additional instruction beyond that about specific things that God would have us do to offer up our broken hearts and contrite spirits, that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that we might be counted among the strength of the Lord's house, who qualify for deliverance from destruction and to be led out on this end-time exodus. Verse 41 again. But behold, because of the exceeding great length of the war between the Nephites and the Lamanites, many had become hardened because of the exceeding great length of the war, and many were softened and Brothers and sisters, let us be among those who are softened because of our hardships. And let us not require that the Lord give us hardship to soften us. Let's soften uh, you know, us before the extreme hardship comes. Or in other words, let us offer up a sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. And many were softened because of their afflictions, insomuch that they did humble themselves before God, even in the depth of humility. And it came to pass that after Moroni had fortified these parts of the land, which were most exposed to the Lamanites, until they were sufficiently strong, he returned to the city of Zarahemla, and also Helaman returned to the place of his inheritance. And there was once more peace established among the people of Nephi. And Moroni yielded up the command of his armies into the hands of his son whose name was Moronihah, 
and he retired to his own house that he might spend the remainder of his days in peace. And Pehoran did return to his judgment seat, and Helaman did take it upon him again to preach the word to the people of God, to the people the word of God. For the people, for because of so many wars and contentions, it had become expedient that a regulation should be made again in the church. Therefore, Helaman and his brethren went forth and did declare the word of God with much power unto the convincing of many people of the wickedness of their wickedness, which had caused them to repent of their sins and to be baptized unto the Lord their God. And may I submit unto you that this baptism was by the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood, both water and fire and Holy Ghost, which we must also receive. And it came to pass that they did establish again the church of God throughout all the land. Yea, and regulations were made concerning the law, and their judges and their chief judges were chosen. And the people of Nephi began to prosper again in the land, and began to multiply and to wax exceedingly strong again in the land. And they began to grow exceedingly rich, but notwithstanding the riches, or their strength, or the prosperity, they were not lifted up in the pride of their eyes. Neither were they slow to remember the Lord their God, but they did humble themselves exceedingly before him. And may, may I assert that we need to do the exact same, that notwithstanding our riches or our strength or our prosperity, that we also may not be lifted up in the pride of our own eyes. Neither be we slow to remember the Lord our God but that we might humble ourselves exceedingly before him, which is the definition of the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. Verse 50. Yea, they did remember how great things the Lord had done for them, that he had delivered them from death and from bonds and from prisons and from all manner of afflictions. And he had delivered them out of the hands of their enemies. And they did pray unto the Lord their God continually, insomuch that the Lord did bless them according to his word that they did wax strong and prosper in the land. And it came to pass that after all these things were done, and Helaman died in the 30 and fifth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. And, you know, this concludes the, the doctrinal portion of tonight's Zoom meeting. And now we will open it up to questions and comments and experiences and commentary.